So how many of you noticed uh, a different bass player today? This is my son, Caleb. Uh, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Uh, so I wanted to uh, kind of talk through how he got back in the band. Um, we started this church when he was seven years old. And he grew up doing all kinds of things that a pastor's kid would do, uh, cleaning the church, babysitting, um, did all kinds of things. By the time he was a teenager, he was actually serving in our toddler's class. He was teaching one Sunday a month. Um, he started, we started a youth band years ago when we moved into this building. And Rachel and Caleb were both in that youth band. And through the experience of that youth band, they were both asked to be in the big Big band, we called it big band and youth band. They were asked to be in big church, and uh, they began serving. Well, there was something that happened. There's some things that went on, and uh, I think you said we we talked about this yesterday. So so just chill. I'm gonna I'm gonna remind them of some things that we talked about yesterday, and I am gonna get to the questions in a second. Um, but but about ten years ago, Caleb said that he he started living in sin, and I'm gonna let him tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, but um, in, the, in the course of all this, he was actually removed from the band because he was not living right. He knew he wasn't living right. He came back in the band and then eventually left again. And, and so kind of tell us, uh, tell us your idea of serving. Where, where did, why did you start serving at a young age? And um, what, what did it mean to you to serve back in the children's area or to serve in the youth band or to serve in, in big band? Well, you know, it was... It was Grew up serving, grew up watching you, family serve, always been a part of the church, and, you know, that's something that, that we were, that was instilled in us, that, that you don't just go to church, you don't just read the Bible, you serve the kingdom of God, and that was instilled from, as, you know, as early back as I can remember. You mentioned something to me yesterday that, um, that when you started living in sin, there was kind of a dual life. There was your church life and there was the other life. Can you tell us just a, just a brief bit about that? What was it like to, to, were you at peace? Were you in turmoil? What was going on in your heart when you're one thing on Sunday and you were something else during the week? Well, you know, I was pretty much in turmoil. It was, uh, I've been taught from as early as I can remember that, you know, the way I was living was wrong. Um, I felt like I had to, you know, keep appearances, but, you know, I, I was not strong enough and, you know, wise enough to quit that, that sinful life. And it just kept growing and growing and growing, and that was just a, you know, I just viewed it as, you know, serving and playing on drums years ago was just a, something that I had to do because I was a drummer. At that point, I'd lost all, you know, I guess, motivation and inspiration to serve because of the sinful path. And so because you lost that motivation and inspiration, what, what happened? Where, where did you go from the church? Were you a part of the church or did you, did you leave the church? What, what was oh, going I ran. On? You I, ran? I ran. I knew I was living wrong and I didn't want to face it. And so I just ran for 10 years. 10 years. We were talking about that. It was about 10 years ago when all of this stuff began to surface in his life. And so at uh, Rachel and Matt's wedding on um, October 19th of, of 2019, um, the next day we actually, you, you mentioned something, the sermon, I'd forgotten what the sermon was about, but you mentioned there was a sermon that shook you up. Um, and can you tell us about what, what sermon was it and what, what made it click in your mind that you needed to get right with God? 
was it um it was the unholy spirit one um i can't remember the series name of that one but supernatural supernatural it was the unholy spirit and you know if you you know god's going to be there for you he's, he's going to give you your second chance but if you keep rejecting and keep turning your back towards him then eventually he's going to be like okay well you got to get back on your own you know I've, i'm open doors you've continued to walk past them and you know you're on your own and that scared the mess out of me so we talked about in that series how there's a Holy Spirit of God who, who um, encourages us to do right, but there's an unholy spirit that's from, from Satan, from the enemy of God. And, and so we were driving around that day, the day after Rachel's wedding, and he said, Dad, I think God is calling me back to Palestine. Now, you, you guys know that prayed with us for years, and I joked at your wedding that we prayed for you, and we prayed for you, and we prayed for you, that we're not joking. Years we prayed for this young man. So, so I'm driving, I'm going... God, what, what are you doing in my son's life? And so you told Hannah about that, and, and eventually everything worked out for you to come back to, to Palestine. Um, wh- why did you want to come back to New Life? You mentioned something about New Life and what it meant to you. Because when you went off, did you go to church? No. When you were running from God and you were living your life, were you, were you even once. interested in church? Not once. Not once. So, so something happened even before that that got you thinking about God. You told me that for several months, God had been working in you and it was the birth of your son, but specifically what happened with Wayland that got your attention? You said, I need to get back in church. He asked to read the Bible at bedtime. Hannah, um, when she went back to nursing school, we enrolled him in a preschool, a little childcare, daycare center in Bryant at a church. And they had a Christian-based curriculum and he came home asking to read the Bible. And so Hannah went and got a Bible, a little children's Bible, and we read that for months. And I started, as we went, worked through it, I was like, hey, Jonah, yeah, I know that. And it was just kind of always sitting in the back of my mind each time we read that little Bible, a children's Bible. And, you know, stories that I was raised on. You know, I could memorize and, you know, I did Awana and all that stuff. So it, it just all started coming back, and that's when uh, my spirit started to kind of awaken to what I was doing versus where I was and there was something wrong there and I was unhappy and so that that started to realize the parallel of the life I was living versus what life I should have lived. And you mentioned something about new life. You 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 told me it was an excuse. Kind of oh, kind of yeah. mentioned what that was. So I've heard the excuse um, and you know, I just was like, hey, that's, that's really convenient to, content, to be in denial and continue to live the way I'm living because I love new life. I'm not going to find any church like new life, so I'm not even going to try. Like, that, that was just what I told myself, no matter uh, right or wrong. That's, that's what I told myself, just to make myself feel better and continue to live the way I wanted to. So you told me, you told Hannah, and then God worked it out for you guys to move back, and immediately... You, you began to serve behind the scenes. You served for over a year. You were up here on Tuesday nights during band rehearsal, not being in the band, but working on sound, making sure the Facebook sound was where it needed to be. You, you helped us with lighting. You, you ran sound if Gary wasn't back there. You, you did all kinds of stuff behind the scenes, um, knowing that there was not even an opportunity for you to get on stage and use your gift. I told you when you were a teenager, I don't know if you remember this, you are much more talented musically than I am. God has gifted you. 
And, and it broke my heart when you ran away from the Lord and you stopped using your gift. And your mom and I prayed for years that you would get involved in a church. And you, we even told you, you need to be serving in a church somewhere. So when God brought you back, it kind of blew my mind. But why would you, why would you go over a year of serving with no opportunity of being on this stage? Why would you do that? Because I recognize what I was doing when... 10 years ago and, you know, why I got into it and why I was serving and I just wanted to get back any way I could. If that was sweeping the floors, if that was opening doors, wherever I was needed, I, I wanted back. When I think back about happiness and joy, I was most happy when I was in the church serving. And so I just wanted to get back to that and I wanted to set an example for my family and my son. And he actually said to me, he said, you know, if I'd have never gotten back in the church, it would have been okay. He said it would have stunk because you're gifted by God. Um, he, start, he learned the drums on his own, would spend hours, sometimes six, eight hours a day. We bought electronic drums so we wouldn't have to hear the full force of it in the house. So all you'd hear is the click, 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 you know, of the electronic drums. Practice for hours, and now you've practiced for hours on the bass um, because you felt like God was going to lead you to this point. So, but you also knew, you knew you had to get some things right. And you, you said to me that, that, you had to prove your heart by serving. And so, so as, we, as we watched, I, I don't think anybody in the band had any issues with Caleb. They, they got married um, by the grace of God, what was it, two weeks before um, their, their wedding. We went through a 101 class. Hannah gives her heart to the Lord. She's, she's looking at the date of, of when, when did you come to Christ, and she couldn't write down a date because she didn't know for sure. And Caleb said to her, if you don't know, talk to Dad. So we sat back there in the crying baby's room, and, and I had the privilege of leading my daughter-in-law to the Lord and then the next week, we baptized her the week before they got married. And, and, and I just see God's hand upon them. Now, now, not to say you're perfect. Are you perfect? No. Uh, is your father perfect? No. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Said that with emphasis. Um, uh, so what are you doing now? Ten years later, what are you doing to protect yourself so that you don't go through this... this um, dual life of, of pretending to be one thing on stage and being something else the rest of the week? It's more, for me, it's, it's my surroundings, you know, making sure I have, you know, boundaries. You know, I, for, a big thing is, is music, you know, obviously. That's, that's what I want to do 24-7. And when I'm listening to secular music, my mind's not right, my... my language is not great, you know, all of those things is influenced big time into how I behave, my thought process, how I look at, how I look at life. And so you, to me, it's just boundaries and keeping myself focused on why I'm back here in Palestine and what I want my son and my future children to, to see in their father. Big deal, big deal. <clears throat> So as, as your father, he, he asked me a while back if I would be his accountability partner, and I told him that's really hard to be his accountability partner because as, as an accountability partner, you have to get in somebody's face. Um, and so there will be times that, that you know, my, my daddy's heart wants to uh, scoop you up and say it's going to be okay, but, but there's also going to be times as an accountability partner that I've got to say, hey, dude, you know, what you're doing is not right. And, and uh so it means a lot to me to have him up here. I wanted you to hear. Um, first of all, I never asked my children to be in the worship band. 
I created the youth band years ago because they, I saw gifting of God and they served here on Wednesday nights with 20 teenagers out here in the, in the youth group. And then someone saw talent in them and asked them to be up on the stage. And, and so um, I do believe my kids are gifted by God. Um, I do believe they're human and they make mistakes. Um, but, but we want to we wanna be the type of church that pours out mercy and grace. And if we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of grace. Now, that does not mean we won't come up with truth because if you're, if you're living, we told him, you know, when he came back, I said, dude, you can't be on stage. You're, you're not married to the woman that you're living with. And he said, dad, I know, I know. And we're working on that. And he proposed and she said, yes. And, and God worked in all of that stuff to, the, to, to get us to the point that today my son can be up here on stage. He can worship the Lord and, and use his gift. Now, I tell you all of that because you will never, you will never feel fulfilled in this life until you know Jesus, till you discover your spiritual gift, until you're using that gift in the service of the kingdom. The reason God gives you gifts is not for you. It's to build up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. And so I wanted you to hear all of that story, to hear what, what had gone on and how God's brought him back and, that, and ask you to pray for him. You know, because the, the, the battle has not stopped. The battle's only increased. Because when the enemy sees someone walking with the Lord, he's going to try to take them down. And so we have to do all the more to pray coverings over each other because we are our brother and sister's keepers. Contrary to what Cain said in, in the book of Genesis, what, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are, if you're a, if you're a brother or sister in Christ. So we're going to pray, and then I think that, that there's another video. I have not seen this video, um, so, uh, so I, good luck. I don't know what's going to happen. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for my son, my daughters. Uh, thank you for my family. Thank you for new life, this family. God, continue to build this family and to use us to bring light into darkness. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. My favorite thing about having Doug in the band was the fact that we could have fun and still joke around and still praise God at the same time, which I think is the basis of our entire church. We can still be fun Christians. Some people think uh, that we're not fun Christians, but you can still be Christian and have fun, and that's what we did in the band, and Doug brought a lot of that to us. Uh, favorite part about having him in the band, his uh, wisdom, not only in music, but uh, just in life. You can depend on him for everything. I want to miss that most about him. My favorite thing about having Doug in the band is his uh, absolute passion for the worship. My favorite part about him being in the band was the, the music uh, knowledge that he does have. Um, you know, he, he's uh, always somebody you could lean on for information. And so that was uh, nice to have him there for that. One of my favorite things about having dad up there with me, besides him worshiping with me, but... Um, would be how he encourages me to reach my full pot potential whenever I'm worshiping. So he, um, I feel like God won't use you if you're not using everything within you to worship. And my dad taught me that. So that's one of my favorite things about dad. So anytime I have a big issue or a problem or um, some big life-changing thing, I'm thinking there's no way anybody could say anything to me that's going to help me or solve my issues. Um, and I call Doug 
or text him or anything or meet with him, he, I'm not going to say fixes it because God fixes everything, but he gives me just the best advice, whether it's something I, if it's against myself or um, he's just, he's an awesome, awesome advice giver. He's very wise. And I'm going to miss that even though I still have it. So that's not the question. That's a good thing about you, Doug. You're awesome. The really nice thing about Doug is is that he has such a, a big heart for everybody and he has a great passion for Christ. And he's always there uh, whenever you need him. The one nice thing I find about Doug is his passion for the church and his ability to be our friend through the fun times and the hard times. And, and I, I just love having him in church because afterwards we, we get down and we pray and we talk about our personal problems, needs for the church and needs for the community and such. And he relates to us and really helps us with our perspective on life and, and our relationship with God and Christ. And he's really helped me to lead, to get closer to God and, and lead me closer to Christ through time. Nice thing about Doug is the fact that he does care about everyone. Um, genuinely, he does uh, care what's going on personally in your life. And, and uh, you know, he's just, uh, you know, a really genuinely good person. One nice thing about dad is that he is all into worship. Whenever we turn off the countdown, whenever we're ready to go into the song, he is all in ready to worship God with everything that he has. And that is one of my favorite things about him and something that I look up to so much. I also like whenever he talks in between, like in the middle of a song he'll just start talking and he always knows exactly what to say to the crowd but it always feels it always speaks to my heart whenever he is um doing that and so so what i'm gonna miss about doug leaving is uh he brings a lot of music theory wisdom and uh also after our rehearsals and uh things he we would all get together and pray and you know it's pretty big luxury to have your pastor that accessible. So uh, I will miss that a lot about him. So the thing I'm gonna miss most about Doug, Dougie, Douglas Bartholomew and the band, is that I won't get to warm my cold hands up on top of his head before practice. Well, every Tuesday and Sunday he texts me, uh, where are you at, Buffy? It's all the time, every single Sunday. Some usually late. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Your. Um, what else? So is there a accountability? Yes, he's my accountability man. I can be like 20 seconds late. He says, where are you, Buffy? One of the things I'm going to miss most about Dad being in the band is probably just the fact that I get to worship every day with, like, on stage with my dad. I don't even get to stand next to Matt whenever I worship. So it was really cool um, getting to stand up there and having him just encourage me and having him knowing that he was right there was something that meant a lot to me. So I think that that's going to be one of the things I miss about having him on stage with me. What I'm going to miss most about Doug is his music theory and the way he understands music because he's able to hear harmonies very well and he's able to listen to mistakes we might make and be able to make it the best quality music to present to the Lord. So the funny thing I think about Doug is when he tells stories that tells off on himself, 
And the most funny thing was when he puts the goofy wig on, the big blonde long wig that uh, to try to hide his bald head. Pretty much every Wednesday or practice day and Sunday uh, during rehearsal, he does this thing like he's clearing his throat. It's like a ha 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 ha. Can you do that again for me? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good one. One funny thing Dad does is he has this little thing that he, it's been mentioned, where he clears his throat after he sings a song, and it's something along the lines of, ha-ha! <laughs> oh, and I think another funny thing would be probably how crazy he gets into trying to make me laugh during a song so like if i'm like let the redeemed of the lord sing hallelujah he doesn't do it on that song does he whatever song we say woo so on top of the uh clearing the throat thing that's been mentioned the <laughs> the uh the other thing that's funny is sometimes uh if the levels are out of adjustment on his monitor and like I'd play a big chord just to check my volume level and he's all freaking out, you know, over there trying to adjust his monitors. So uh, that was always funny about it. Some of the things that I think are funny about Doug is that uh, he's had many more serious series of unfortunate events with the law, you know, his many misdemeanors. And uh, I think that's kind of funny. We got to get to play off of that every once in a while. And one thing that's really kind of problematic is the way Doug stands in the band, his left lobe of his skull, his cabeza, is really, really bright, and it kind of is blinding sometimes. So I have to really kind of focus on tuning that out, and I even want to wear shades sometimes. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Gracias, amigo. Y'all see what I had to put up with? My favorite thing about having Doug in the band was the fact that we could have fun and still joke around and all right oh when you put it on there it automatically loops so somebody didn't stop it <clears throat> all right that's very uncomfortable I'm glad y'all joked at the end um so we're we're kind of finishing today but we're going to kind of carry on this this theme of worship throughout um 2021 and so um, let me let me fly through some things because I want us to to seriously worship the Lord on this first Sunday of, of 2021. So we looked at five words so far. Go ahead and put those up there if you would, Nate. Um, yada, we looked at the Hebrew word for praise, that is to raise our hands. It's an active posture of praise from someone who adores God. Um, the next word we looked at was zamar. And it's to make music. It's what the band literally does. They make music. But it's to celebrate in song and music. And so you clap, you, you lift, a, you make a joyful noise. Um, whatever you do, you, you make music to the Lord. We looked at another one called Tudah, uh, which is the extension of the hands. Um, it's offering a sacrifice of praise. Worship, true worship costs you something. And so when you bring your, your hands to him, you bring him a sacrifice of praise, but it's, it's thanksgiving for things not received yet. God, whether you, even if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to praise you, Lord, because someday I'm going to have a victory. Well, that's the next one. Shabbat is to shout. 
Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. It's to, I'm going to have a victory. I'm going to see a victory. It's shouting out before the victory. It's the idea when Joshua and the Israelites walked around Jericho, before the walls fell down, they walked around seven times on the seventh day, and then the Lord told them to shout to the Lord, for, you ha- for he has given us the victory. When they shouted out, the walls came down, and sometimes you need to shout. And then the, the last one we looked at before today was halal, which is the root word of hallelujah, and it means to boast, to celebrate. It means, check this out, loud enthusiasm in the presence of the Lord. What you understand when you begin to to study these words is worship is not a spectator sport. It is not a timid sport. It is let's get into it. You should be sweating. Your heart should be beating. You know, I told you your hand should have hurt by the end of that first song because you're clapping to the Lord. And it's in spite of circumstances, because when we do that, God does something amazing in our life. So today our word is barach. Say that. Barach. It means to kneel, to bless God, to praise, salute, to thank. It's a word of humility. It's used 289 times in the Psalms. 289 times we're commanded to kneel to the Lord. And the original context was more than just kneeling because you would see kneeling in those days to one who was greater. But this context was to kneel with your eyes on the Lord. In, in other words, it is to have your eyes transfixed on the king. It's like turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So you know we've been practicing what we're preaching, so you know, I'm telling you right now, we're going to kneel before we leave this place. Um, In Barak, even the most powerful acknowledge that there is one more powerful. They give up their egos. They give up their honor. They offer their gold, their frankincense, their myrrh. They offer their talents, their treasures, their time to one who is greater. And here's a good example of it in Psalm 103. It says, praise or barak. I'm going to say kneel to. Kneel to the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Kneel to the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. Kneel to the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who who obey his word. Kneel to the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Kneel to the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Kneel to the Lord, my soul. How would our church gatherings change if everyone came in? with the idea of kneeling with our eyes transfixed on the king of kings. Would we complain about the worship songs? Would we complain about the temperature in the room? Would we worry about how loud the music was? Or would we worry about how long a service went if we were transfixed on the king of kings? Somebody help me out, would we? No. Now, here's why this is a big deal to me, and this is why I want our culture to change in our church. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with our church, but we can't stay where we are and go with God at the same time. We need to be moving with God. When you follow, the idea is you're going somewhere. Well, in 2021, you need to understand weak worship produces weak Christians, and I don't want any weak Christians at New Life. So I need your help in 2021. Whenever someone asks you, how was church or how was worship, I want our culture to be, and I'm going to try to bring this back. If I forget, you remind me. I want our culture in our church to say, that's the wrong question. The better question is, how was your worship? 
how was my worship? Can we please take the focus off of the band or the Sunday school teacher or the preacher and put it on the king and be transfixed in the presence of the king? Because if you've seen the king work in your life, if you've seen him work in the lives of others, if we've seen him at new life and we've seen him at new life, how can you not kneel to, how can you not barack the king of kings and be transfixed by him? We pick up the Christmas story as the wise men have been following the star for months. As it kept moving, they kept following and then it stopped and look what happens. When they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. When was the last time someone said you were overjoyed in the presence of the king? I'm willing to bet it's been too long. That should be normal in a church. Now, I'm not talking about you're an idiot. (laughs) But I'm talking about having your eyes transfixed on the king. Should be normal. Look what happens. They were, the joy was spilling out when the star stopped. And here's what happens in verse 11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they did what? Bowed down. And worshiped. It's part of worship. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I know kneeling is not something we normally do in our culture. Um, it's kind of like lifting hands. Some of y'all may have lifted your hands for the first time a few weeks ago when we did that in the first sermon of this series. You were out of your comfort zone. And kneeling, guys, I, I know of two times when guys typically kneel. When you propose or when you get your football picture taken when you're in junior high. You know, you got the football and you got your helmet and you kneel. Ladies, I don't know when you kneel. But I, I know that's the two times that, that guys kneel in their lives. So, so it may be a little bit uncomfortable. When you open up the scripture, you see clearly taught in the word of God, kneeling, kneeling before one who's greater. And, and they did this for kings, not the king of kings, but, but for humans. They knelt for anybody who was in authority over them. And you better believe that people in the Old Testament knelt before a holy God. So it was quite natural in that culture for the psalmist to write this in Psalm 95, 6 through 8. Come, let us worship and do what? Bow down. Let us now kneel, kneel, Before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. And he's about to show you the opposite of kneeling. He says, do not harden your hearts. As Israel did at Meribah and as at Massah in the wilderness. That's the opposite. If only you would kneel. One of the reasons that we harden our hearts and we don't kneel is because we do not understand the holiness of God. If you ever saw God as he was, you would be on your face in fear that your life was about to end. It's what the scripture teaches us. One time after Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they'd gone across the Red Sea. He'd already gotten the Ten Commandments. The the people of Israel were just a rebellious people. And at one point he says to God, God, would you show me your glory? Here's what God says to him in Exodus 33. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh. In that, in that culture, it was Y-H-W-H. There were no vowels, and this was the name they would not even pronounce because they were so afraid of taking the name of the Lord in vain. God says, I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose, but you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Why? Because he's holy. The holy cannot look upon the unholy. 
In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, which was the tent of worship. It was their church. It was a mobile church, and when God said move, they would take it down. They would move it, set it up at the next place. Later, they built the temple. It was Solomon's temple, and there was a place in each of those, in the tabernacle or in the temple, called the Holy of Holies. It was a place only the priest could go one time a year on what's, what we call in English the Day of Atonement. He had to do certain things, and if he didn't do those certain things, you could guarantee when he stepped before the presence of God, he would die. Holy of holies. Now, we call it the day of atonement, but in Hebrew, it's called Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur means the day a ransom is paid to redeem someone by offering a substitute. In the Old Testament, they said the lifeblood of the animal had to be sacrificed and had to be a substitute for the lifeblood of the worshiper. If there was no blood shed, the worshiper could not come into the presence of God and was at danger of death if he or she tried. Here's what Moses said in Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of a creature is in the blood. I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Look at this. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. There has to be a substitute. An innocent third party must give their life and their blood for you to stand before a holy God. In the New Testament, Hebrews 9, 22 says this. As Moses' teaching tells us, blood was used to cleanse almost everything. Here it is. Because if no blood is shed, no sins can be what? So if you, a guilty sinner, decide I'm not going to have the blood of Jesus applied to my life, then your blood must be spilled for your sin and you will end up in a place called hell. Not because God sends you there, but because you refuse his offer of a holy substitute in your place. So here's how I say that. No bloodshed means no at-one-ment. Atonement at-one-ment with God. If no blood is shed, there is no at-one-ment with God. We're unholy because of sin. So the only way God can look upon you is, is through the blood of Jesus, his son. And when you realize how powerful, how magnificent, how holy he is, suddenly kneeling is the logical thing to do. So very quickly, sometimes you should kneel or times you should bow. First of all is when you're seeking as uh, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is teaching. He's on the earth. He's walking around. Look what happens. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And what did he do? He fell on his knees before him. I was 50 something years old before I noticed the posture of this man. He fell on his knees before God. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Many people, I don't know if you know this, but many people literally use the word literally incorrectly. It makes me crazy. But this man literally fell on his knees before God and, and said, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And, and so here's, here's the point. Some of you are not fully devoted followers of Christ. You're not even semi-committed followers of Christ. And you may need to fall on your knees today and ask God a few questions. You may need to say, God, if you're real, show me. I dare you. I dare you to, to, to pray that prayer. You may need to say, God, I, I've been holding back my life, but it's time for a substitute. It's time for me to quit playing games like Caleb was talking about when he was 16 and be real. You may need to say, what is lacking in my life? Second time you need to bow is in repentance. Whenever um, Jesus was first beginning his ministry, he's teaching. There's crowds all around him. This is in Luke chapter 5. 
gives us a great picture of kneeling. So Jesus is teaching and the crowds are so, uh, so pressing against him that he gets into Peter's boat. Peter had just fished all night and it says they were mending their nets. So if you didn't um, clean your nets after throwing them in the water and fishing with them, they would become brittle and break and they would become useless. So after fishing all night, catching nothing, they're working so that they can go fish again the next night. And my commentator said, if I had fished all night, I'd probably be selling my nets, not mending them, getting ready to go do it again. So they've been fishing all night, and Jesus gets into Peter's boat, and he said, Peter, push out a little bit from shore. So Peter did. Jesus keeps on teaching. If he had not obeyed that command, that little command, he would not have been in position for the next command, which brought a miracle in his life. Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, put out into deeper water. So he put out into shallow water. Now he says, put out into deeper water, and he says, I want you to throw down your nets. And and what do you think Peter's thinking? Peter's probably thinking, you're a carpenter. Why don't you build a table and leave the fishing to me? But he didn't do that. He didn't say that. He said, Lord, we fished all night. We've caught nothing. But because you said so, we will throw down the nets. When they threw down the nets, it's, the Bible tells us they brought up such a great catch that the nets began to break. Not because they didn't mend them, but because they'd never had a catch of fish like this before. It was so great. They signaled their partners to come in their boat. They come up. They load the boats in. Look how Peter responds to this. Peter says in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he did what? fell to his knees. Why? And he said, Lord, please leave me. I'm, much, I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. This is, this is kneeling in repentance. He's not saying, hey, give me some more fish, genie. Hey, give me what I want. No, he's going, I did not realize who you were. I'm a sinful man. You need to leave me alone because I'm a sinful man. And some of you need to kneel in repentance today and admit that you have been sinning against the Lord. Some of you need to confess some sins today. You know, in, in the song, Oh Holy Night, there's a, there's a line that says, fall on your knees. Some of you need to do that today and confess to God that you've been holding on to sin. You thought it was secret, but the Bible says, be very sure your sins will always find you out. God knows whether anyone else knows or not. And if you don't repent, somebody else is going to know. God will make sure that someone finds out. Third reason you need to, to, to kneel is in submission. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're going to say, this area that I've been holding back, God, I'm going to give it to you. God's been messing with you for years to give up this area of your life. And you're like, no, I want it my way. You can't have it your way and go with God at the same time. You actually think that your plan is better than God's plan. And you actually would like the God of all creation to kneel to your plan. It's not going to happen. Jesus gave us an example in Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and 42. He walked away, Jesus, about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And some of you need to pray that prayer. It's the hardest prayer to pray, your will, not mine. Now, one last secret. You can kneel now or you will kneel later, but you're going to kneel. It's the promise of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2. He, Jesus, humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death um, on the cross. Therefore, God elevated. Who elevated? You don't get to elevate yourself. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You're going to bow. Are you going to do it now? Or are you going to do it after you die? Because if you, if you bow now while you're alive, 
God honors that submission to him and he adopts you as his child and he brings you into heaven. But if you refuse him your whole life, I'm not going to bow, I'm not going to bow, I'm not going to bow, then God's going to honor that when you die. And he said, because you didn't bow when you were alive, you're going to bow now, but you're going to depart from me because I don't know you. You're not part of the family. And people say, how can God send people to hell? No, 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 no. You You refused to submit yourself to the one to transfix your eyes on the king. And because of your choice not to bow, God will honor that for all eternity and send you to a place where he calls it weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, eternal torment. I'm in torment in this flame, the rich man said, because he refused to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. So we've got a song. Going to have to say bye to you, um, Facebook Come join us next week if you can on campus. If not, we'll see you here next week. The song is God, You're So Good. And so uh, we're going to turn out the lights. We're going we're gonna to just play this song. Some of you need to rush up here and kneel because you know you've not been living the life that God wanted you to live. Some of you can kneel right where you are. Some of you, um, I don't know, you, you just need to bow before the one who created everything. Because like Caleb said, that. There comes a time when God stops pursuing you. The worst words in Scripture are, in Romans chapter 1, it says, God gave them up to their own desires. You refuse him enough, he gives you up. He turns you over to the unholy spirit. You don't want to be there. So let's bow before the Lord, however you need to bow. This is a Christian Stanfield. This is the Passion um, Conference years ago. Got the words on the screen if you want to sing them. Let's transfix our eyes on the Lord and let's worship Him. So uh, thank you for being here today. I want you to be back with us next week. I couldn't resist. Um, We do have Mexican stack up today for our um, missions and Israel lunch. Uh, If you're going to Israel, meet me down here for just a couple of minutes while uh, folks are going back there to, to get served. I need to give you some flight information Um, and uh, we're going to be doing some other fundraisers coming up over the next few months to try to help our folks be able to pay pay for that. Um, I read this morning that in Israel, the land where Jesus was born, less than 2% of the people are Christians. Where we will go to church, if if God is willing, where we will go to church in Nazareth, um, they have a ministry to the Muslim community. Specifically, the pastor's wife um, reaches out to women in the Muslim community who do not know how to read. They've got zero education. That's how they, they are um, oppressed is, is the, the male-dominated society keeps them from getting any type of education so they can't better themselves. Well, this church has a ministry to those women. And so we'll go to church there. We'll do some missions, opportunities, um, whatever that church wants us to do uh, the second day that we're there, after, well, after the church service. And... Um, 
Uh, and we'll go around and we'll see the, the sites. I'm just going to tell you if, you, if you go this year, it's going to rock your world. If you, if you can't go this year, you need to be planning on going. It's, it's my goal that all of y'all would go at least once in your lifetime because it will change the way you read the scriptures. So I'm, I spend a lot of my time looking at maps. I'm like, oh, I've been there. This happened there. And so we'll point out a lot of that when we go. Um, but we can't see all of it in, in, a, in a 10-day trip. But anyway, we're going to help some folks get there. Um, by the way, we have lowered the price because the flights went down. Praise God, it's $28.50 instead of $3,000. It's $150. Yay. Uh, better than nothing, right? But it's because the flight was cheaper than we thought it was going to be. So uh, just wanted to let you guys know that. All right. So you are dismissed to go out there and get some food. $6 a plate. We have to-go plates if you want to take it with you. Mexican stack up means whatever you like, you put it on your plate, you eat it. Right? If you've got a big family, we never charge more than 20 bucks for a whole family. So um, all of that money goes to help send people to Israel. Get out of here.